Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Can't believe that. Um, well, anyway, um, I, it's my privilege to speak here this morning. And um, whilst I was thinking about giving this talk today, I was thinking of so many things, so many memories. I've been part of this church for so long. And um, I just so value the teaching and, and just the kingdom lifestyle, the, the, the honoring way that so many people here live and live out their lives with Jesus in. And I've had the privilege of journeying with you. I was thinking this morning when I was thinking about what I was going to say, on my way in, funny enough, I changed the first part of my talk, like you do, you know. And I was thinking when we had our first child, we had a first child, and I was the month before my 21st birthday, and we were taking our little one, our little daughter, down to see my parents, and we had a green van, and we lived up in North Yorkshire. And um, so we packed the van to take our baby, our precious one, down to see my parents and family and John's family. And I remember John saying, we can't get much more in this van. Are you sure we've got to take all this? And I said, oh, yes, yes, we need that. He was, surely we don't need this. Yes, we need that. We needed everything. I was so keen to have everything we needed. And when we eventually started on our journey down, John said to me, I think we've got everything but the kitchen sink in here. <laughs> and it's true, you know, I just so wanted everything for the journey that we have. And God was like that when he gave us the Bible. He put everything in here that we needed for the journey that we have here on earth. And that's why every week, week by week, we look at this and think through what is God saying to us through this. Plus, he gave us the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would be with us now on our journey. So we've got everything for our journey on this earth at this time. But it is a journey we're journeying through. I discarded the journey, that journey, part of my journey, till I was 28 years old. And then, like Wendy spoke about last week, I had an experience of God that changed my life. And it changed my life in such a profound way that I couldn't talk about it for 14 months. If I did, I just cried. So I, I did what every British person does. I didn't talk about it. Simple as that. Didn't talk about it to John or anyone. <laughs> you know, I just started going to church. And I found going to church so difficult, so hard. Because you go to church and you hear week by week how you're supposed to live. And my life was so not like the person who was speaking on that Sunday morning. If they'd had my life, they'd have known how difficult it was to live. But actually, God did know how difficult my life was for me to live. And he helped me along the way. Fortunately for me, when I had the experience of God's love... I stopped having the, the migraine headaches that I'd had since I was about 12. I stopped also having the nightmares that I'd had since my childhood. So I knew I didn't want to go back, but I also found it incredibly difficult to go forward. And I think that, for me, I was so fortunate. I, I did something which, with hindsight, was a blessing. I just clung to God for all I was worth and tried every day just to follow him. And I think the trouble was that my attitude in everything was so wrong. I had so many wrong attitudes about myself, about people, about God, everything, about my husband, about my children, everything. Everything was up for grabs. And attitudes are different from feelings. They're opinions we hold 
and my attitudes were so contrary to God's that it felt for a long time as if I was always struggling to change my thinking, especially where God was concerned, who he is and how to relate to him. I found I could sulk with God the same way I could sulk with my husband for days not speaking to him, you know. And that is obviously something God wanted to change, you know. Whilst I did not understand that God had a plan and a purpose for my life for Save Me, I knew he had. And God's plan that through coming to know Jesus, we would all know a sense of belonging, a sense of being, a sense of okay here, a sense of purpose, and join in with Jesus bringing God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I love that song that we sing, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And Dennis spoke about this so clearly the other week, remembering that Jesus came to undo the work of the enemy, not compromise or join in with him in any way. Whereas for us, that is so difficult. But he is for us and helping us not to do that. And today, I'm going to be looking at who or what do we serve in our own lives. I want us to have time to reflect on whether our attitude to God is one of, I'm serving you first before anything else. Or whether it is, do I sometimes put other things or people before God? So the questions I'm asking is, who do you serve first? And what is our attitude to serving? What does putting God first look like? And for me, as I said, that meant changing my behavior and my attitude to be more like Jesus without understanding why. Just doing it. And if you don't know how Jesus would behave, immerse yourself in the Gospels. Read about Jesus. Go on an Alpha. You know, ask somebody who you know is following Jesus. What is it like to follow him? What's happening in your life? Find out about him and then put it into practice in your daily life and see how your life will change. It will change. I can guarantee you it will change. I realized while preparing this talk that our attitude to serving God is key and that we can miss out on some of the riches of God's kingdom if our attitude to serving is wrong or misdirected or if we're not putting our faith into action. We can do that for all sorts of reasons. We can get stuck, but God doesn't intend us to stay stuck. God is all-powerful and does want relationship with us, and he does have work for us to do here on earth. He wants us to be involved in bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven on a daily basis because we are created to worship him and we are created to serve him. And if we, and we default to serving something or someone else if we don't do that. If you're not serving and putting God first at this time, what is your default position at this time? It might be your husband or wife, partner. It could be yourself, your family, your work, an addiction that you can't get free of, money, shopping, something that comforts you rather than God. So many things or people we put in that first place instead of God. And some can be, given, be God-given, like family and work. But if they get into that first place that belongs to God, it gets out of kilter, and we don't get the benefits, the full benefits of what God has for us here on earth. 
Later on, we'll be looking at the parable Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke. So what happens, and I'm going to speak about that parable, with the fact that the rich man has not put anything in place, okay, except himself. So know that. So what happens if we today don't put God first? As I said, we start to lose our reference points. We will serve something or someone. And I would suggest in an affluent society, and we do live in an affluent society, you might, you might be poor, you might not have anything, but actually this country is affluent. So, and I would suggest that if we don't put our faith into practice through serving God and others, we will get fatter and fatter in our wealth. And in our spirits and our hearts get more and more in a place of expecting others to serve us rather than, as Jesus did, serve others. I was thinking about that. I was thinking, what can I say about that? And I was thinking, have you ever been in a restaurant with someone who speaks to the waiter or the waitress without looking at them and and it sounds like, oh my gosh, you think that person's a human being? And they've just ignored them as a human being and just wanted their needs met. Because that is the sort of thing that I'm talking about. I think sometimes God presented himself to us in Jesus Christ in the form of a servant. And we can at times come dangerously close to regarding God as someone we can order around. Someone we can exploit We don't mean to do that, but it can be a bit like, you know, children who write Father Christmas and just keep putting all they want and then not being happy when they don't get it. Someone we can disregard when we want to. So it could be that you come on a Sunday to receive rather than to give of yourself to God. It could be you live your life as you want to most of the time without getting help or being accountable in the areas you know that you're not honouring God. And when that happens, social injustice happens. When we do that, it's, it's the truth. Think of it in your own lives. It's the truth. If we don't do that, social injustice happens. And this church community is fighting against social injustice. God, through Jesus, did not become a servant so that he could be exploited, but in order that it, we, he could bring our lifestyles in line with his That's what it was about, so that his kingdom could be established on earth through following Jesus and obeying him. And Jesus spoke about this in the parable we're going to look at later. And in the context of this parable, Jesus was speaking to the Sadducees who did not believe in eternal life. He was pushing their buttons as hard as he could because they were wealthy and they they thought, this is it. This is all there is, this life and nothing more. And the Pharisees, who were rich, and they saw riches as a blessing from God, and poverty and illness as something you deserved because either your family had sinned or you'd sinned. So therefore, let's have a look at, just briefly at the blind man in John 9, 1, 7, who when he met Jesus, Jesus healed by mixing mud and saliva and then spread it on his eyes and then said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Just think about that. You're a blind man. You've been blind all your life and your parents don't know what's happened. They, they're feeling, everybody in your society is thinking, oh, you deserve to be blind. Something's happened in your line. Well, you sinned. What happened? Because that was the current thinking of the time. Now you've got mud on your eyes and this guy's told you to go and wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. 
He had a choice to make. Thank God he made the right choice. He went and washed his eyes in the pool of Siloam and could see. A miracle happened. Praise God. But his disciples said to him, Jesus, who sinned? Did this man's parents or was this this man's sin? So this thinking was current and even in his disciples. And Jesus says, no. It was not that this man sinned or his parents sinned, but he was born blind in order that the working of God could be manifested in him. So he was saying no, no, no to that thinking. Before we read the parable, I'm going to say it's the third in a trilogy. The first um, parable that Jesus said was the prodigal son who wastes his father's possessions. The second is a dishonest steward who wastes his master's possessions. And the third one, which we're going to read, is a rich man who wastes his own possessions. And all three, properly understood, are talking about salvation in Christ. Salvation. The rich man and Lazarus. This is the one we're going to read. Okay. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a, laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Noticed angels carried him. The rich man also died, and he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us, you and I, there's a great chasm has been set so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family for five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to him. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. It is a hard passage to read, but it is one in the Bible. Furthermore, it's one of Jesus' parables, so we can't discard it, even if we wanted to. It comes after the parable about money, which contains some of Jesus' strongest and most explicit warnings about the dangers of misuse of wealth. If you think about it, our newspapers are full of it. The news, the television, everything about the misuse of wealth, about stars who have got so much and then do this or that or this. You know, oh my gosh, you know, why did this happen? They had so much money, what went wrong? It's full of it. John Wesley says that faithful stewardship of money involves adherence to the precepts, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And in this parable, 
Jesus gives no indication of the religious condition of either the rich man or Lazarus, but he implies that Lazarus was right with God and the rich man was not. Furthermore, Lazarus is named, and that's the only man in the parables of Jesus that is named Lazarus, and it means one who God helps. So the rich man, expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in total consumption of the nice things in life for his purposes, his fancy car, Starbucks, eating out, shopping, every single day, so not obeying the Ten Commandments, none of his staff would have had a day off, oh, he wants another fine buffet for his friends, and his family's coming over, we've got to keep, 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 you know, so he was, he was selfish, basically, and his attitude remains that way even when he dies. It's not one of gratitude, but one of entitlement. And Jesus was aware that the Pharisees would see that owning land and wealth for them was the sign of God's blessing. And he was pushing their buttons hard, saying, no, faithfulness to God, faithfulness in the use of our possessions and money. Be good stewards. Don't lord it over each other. There is a price to pay if you don't. Even in hell, the rich man is arrogant, and thinks he immediately can use Lazarus as his servant. He's not changed his attitude. He just sees Lazarus. Oh, Lazarus can do this. Lazarus, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus. No more about Lazarus getting the comfort that he never had whilst he was on earth. Send Lazarus to come and serve me here. And he accepts Abraham's answer as right, then begs that Lazarus would be sent back to his five brothers. And when Abraham says that's not possible, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to him. He says, no, Father Abraham. So he's now telling Father Abraham he's wrong, basically, that he's right and Father Abraham is wrong. But Abraham says, and I love his answer, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And that's the truth. Jesus is forewarning the listeners that even with a heart attitude that the rich man had, we will not even believe that someone rises from the dead. In contrast, Lazarus' attitude was one of humility. He knew his wretched condition. He did not sit and bitterly protest. He could have got really bitter, but he didn't. He just begged for help and received none. He longed to eat what was just the crumbs from the rich man's table, and he got nothing. Yet he stayed in a place of receiving. He didn't shut down and change his attitude. He longed for what is right. And it doesn't matter what your condition is or your circumstances are. To long for what is right is godly. It is interesting that according to the commentaries that this is the only parable, as I've said, where Lazarus is named, where someone is named. And that just says how important this parable is. The warning is clear, Jesus gives. The potential impact of riches in our, on our attitude and actions is that if, we ca- if we're not careful, we can create a growing sense of entitlement. And Jesus says that's a dangerous attitude to have. It's a dangerous attitude for any of us to have. Just think, all the time these men were alive, his friends, they would have walked past Lazarus begging for help. His family, his brothers walked past him begging for his help, didn't take any notice of him whatsoever. He got no help. 
But the dogs licked his sores. Some commentaries say that that was his only comfort. That's sad. That's really hard. After dying, Jesus says, the rich man called to Father Abraham, and Father Abraham acknowledged him as son. So we know from that he was Jewish and expected to be recognized as such, yet also realizes the truth of what Father Abraham says to him. Funny enough, from that place, he suddenly became an evangelist. Ah, oh, I beg you, I beg you, Father, send, send Lazarus to my brothers. Tell them, tell them about this. Warn them so they don't come to this place of torment where I am. You know, the motivation to help his brothers avoid Hades was really strong. I remember reading William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army. He said, if I could, if I could but drop each soldier over the pit of hell for one minute, they would go out throughout the whole world telling everyone the gospel, the good news to everyone. I also remember a story I heard about a man who played golf, and he had three friends. They played golf every week. He was a Christian. He loved God. He came on a Sunday and during the week when he was playing golf with his friends. He thought he wouldn't mention about Jesus and his faith because he, he didn't want to cause too much trouble and we'd get him to know each other and there'd be a good time and it would happen naturally at some point. And over the years, they played golf every week and they shared afterwards their lives with each other and they shared barbecues, etc., etc. But he never, ever found the right time. And then one of them kept, became terminally ill with cancer and um, he thought oh, I've got to go and tell him so he went to the hospital to tell him and his good friend said to him no no he said I've got something really important to tell you and his good friend said no 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 I don't want to know it can't be that important I know you I've known you for years if it had been that important you'd have said something earlier and as head of pastoral care I've had the privilege to pray with a number of people who have been terminally ill um, and, and it is an absolute, it's an amazing privilege. And when they know God and they know where they're going, do you know what their, their, their last request is always to pray for when I ask them? It's heartbreaking. Please, please pray for my family who don't know Jesus. Please pray that they'll know God's love. Please. And that is something we pray. And they have to, at that point in their journey, they have to trust that their prayers and what they've said and done and the way they've lived and the, the opportunities they've had to speak of Jesus, that God will bless that and they'll have to leave that with him. As they depart this world and go on to what God has planned and purpose for them now. I remember my own mother, who was terminally ill with cancer for a number of weeks, having the privilege of talking to her about God throughout her life, but especially at that last time, when there was a presence of God in the room. It was absolutely beautiful. I prayed and prayed for God to give me a, a moment that I could speak to her about it. And um, it was just one day when I could feel the presence of God in the room, and I said, Mum, can you feel God's love? And she said, oh, yes, Linda, I can. And that was the point that she gave her life to Jesus. A God so compassionate that he's fighting for every one of us all the time to know him, know his love. That's the God we love and serve. It's an amazing thing. But the first thing she wanted to do as soon as she knew was, I wish I'd told my children. I wish my children knew. 
because we love our families, we love them. And this is such good news that we have, too good to share, not to share. Getting back to the text, I'm sure that the rich man, if he could have had his life over again, would have noticed the needs of Lazarus and offered some food and care. You do, however, have your life here at this time. You can do something. So I ask again, who do you serve? Because you will serve someone or something. Today could be the day you decide to put God first in your order of serving. And secondly, have you thought about your attitude to serving God? And would you want to change that today? Think through, what can you practically do? Because faith always goes with action. And action always goes with faith. The two together bring God's kingdom in. So how can I serve the Lord in my life as it is today? Years ago, when I was praying for the church, I had a picture of um, battleships sailing on the sea, obviously going out to war, fully equipped. And one of the battleships was peculiar because it had deck chairs on it and people were partying and, and drinking and sleeping and had their sunglasses on. And I was thinking, what on earth? That's a crazy picture. What on earth does that mean? And I had this really strong thought in my head. Um, my people don't know that they're going into battle and they're missing out on what I have planned for them. And that is the truth of it. So I believe that each and every one of us that is following Jesus can get involved in the work of bringing the message of the good news about Jesus and God's love to a lost and broken world through our words and through Christ-honoring acts of compassion. I remember John Wimber, so, who started and founded the, the Vineyard Movement, saying so clearly in one of his talks, it doesn't matter who you are, you can pack a box of food for the feed. It doesn't matter what, where you are, you can at least do that or bring a can. It, it, and I believe in this. I've staked my life on it. And that is one of the reasons I, I love our Growing Family campaign. I absolutely love it. Because why would we settle? Why would we settle for less than God has for us? Why would we do that? Why would we want to just get fat? No, we want to give away what God has given us. Because the more we give away, the more he will give to us. And we want our feed ministry to grow. We want our young vineyard to grow. We want our youth work to grow. We want all the ministries in this church church to grow so that we change the culture and climate of the whole region around us, our families, our friends, the, the city itself. So I'm grateful for it. Bless your hearts. I don't know what to say about that except to say thank God. Thank God he's got a plan for us. So let's get out of our comfort zone and into our faith zone and invite God to help us. Join in with what he's doing. And this can happen in so many ways. But we have to have a willingness to be uncomfortable. It is embarrassing. There's no two ways about it. It is hard to step out and go against the, the tide of the culture that we live in. But it is worthwhile. Chris has mentioned the GLS coming up in October. Maybe you could invite someone to that or come yourself or volunteer for it or just buy some of the talks and give them out to your friends. I know for me it's been a long journey. I remember the, the first time I prayed for someone at work 
And I'm going to tell this story because John and I head up the um, prayer ministry training in this, in this church, and I love doing that. Chris and Fliss, when we first started the church, did this, and I'd had so much teaching about how to pray for people and how to step out. And it is such a good thing to learn how to do. So I knew how to do it in church, but it's much harder in the workplace. And I was working in a school and um, I was working as a teaching assistant in the school. One of the teachers came and chatted to me and said that she had, a me- she had a migraine headache. She'd had it for weeks. I've already said to you that God had healed me of migraine headache. So I was like, oh, God can heal you for this. I said, nothing. She'd gone. I thought, I would have said something, God. I would have done. I would have done. I, I, it's just, I, it wouldn't have been right. I really wouldn't have been right. Oh, oh, what have you come back for? She said, oh, I forgot my eggs. Oh, oh, here they are. Oh, um... Okay, well, bye-bye. Oh, my God, I still haven't done it. I will do it. I would have done it. I promise I would have done it. I could almost hear Chris saying to me, just do it, you know. But I would have done it. I would have done it. But actually, you know what, Lord? I don't know what's going to happen if I do pray for her. And, and she'll talk amongst staff. It was really, really horrible. But eventually, I said, God, I would have prayed for her. I promise I would have prayed for her. <gasps> You've come back. What have you come back for? I forgot my keys. Can you believe it? Oh, here's your keys. Oh, dear God. Dear God, I've got to go and pray for her. So I walked out into the car park, chasing her now, because I've left it so long. You know, and this is supposed to be done naturally. Naturally. That's what we're called to be. Naturally supernatural, you know. She's just about to get in the car, and I stop her and say, I'll just call her um, Missy. For, for, I went, oh, Missy, Missy, can I just have a word? So she said, yes, what is it? I said, um, well, the church I go to, we pray for people when they're not well. Can I just pray that your headache would go? Oh, she said, I would love that. Thank you. So, naturally supernatural. I think, oh. Look around. I think there's people here. There's people here. What can I do? I said, do you want to come into the bike sheds? The bike sheds? <laughs> the bike sheds? What do we want to go in there for? Oh, oh, oh yes. Oh, maybe we don't need to. <laughs> Naturally supernatural, you know? So I then prayed for her that her headache would go. She's actually most probably as nervous as I am now. <laughs> I prayed that God would heal her headache. She then went on to tell me that her mother was terminally ill in a hospital and had been. That's one of the reasons she had a migraine headache. She was trying to work and do... It was just a horrendous place that she was in. God healed her migraine headache. That lady started going to her local Anglican church because it's what she knew from her childhood. That is what we're about. That is what God is calling us to, to get involved with what he is doing. That's all he's asking us to do, to step out in faith. So I'm not saying... Something that is an easy thing to do. When you start out, you will not mess it up as much as I've done. I honestly, she's that. And it's ongoing. It's ongoing. We have to continually check our heart attitude. I'm going to finish with a story, okay? Let me tell you this story. An extremely wealthy man died, and he had instructed that his vast collections of paintings and sculptures be sold at auction at the property. And that's what he wanted. So that happened. And on the day, so many people, artists, um, people from national and private collections came to buy and want these paintings for their own viewing in their own places. And the man who died had left specific instructions for the auction that the first painting to be offered for sale was to be a portrait of his son. 
and his son had been killed in action during the war, and the painting was by an unknown artist. It was poor quality, and no one was interested in it. The painting, painting was held up, the crowd fidgeted, and just, you know, let's get on to the proper stuff. I mean, what on earth are they trying to sell that for here? They just were not interested. The estate gardener, however, was at the auction, and he knew he couldn't afford any of the paintings, but he wanted something to remind him of the family, who he'd served and loved, especially the younger son. He, he knew that son before he died. So he bid £20 on the painting. No other bids were made. The hammer went down, and the gardener became the owner of the painting, which was entitled My Beloved Son. The auctioneer put down his hammer and read from the will, Whoever has my beloved son gets everything. The auction is over. Yes! And that's the truth for us, you know. Whoever inherits the son has everything. So what, your inherit what is your inheritance at this time in your life? God's heart for us is like the gardener to inherit everything from him. Our status and destination change as we follow Jesus. And he wants us to grow into that inheritance with a servant, a servant heart attitude. Chris taught on this a few weeks ago, where Paul in prison is writing to the Ephesians, celebrating God's grander vision. Not poor old me, pray that I'll get out of prison, but celebrating God's grander vision, his eternal vision for us, where God is working and taking this broken, fragmented, dysfunctional world that is at odds with him and reconciling it to himself through Christ Jesus so that everything comes under him. Just think you're part of this work, not a spectator, never intended to be a spectator, but included, no one left out, everyone invited in, and God's plan for healing, salvation, redemption, life in him, life in him is for everyone. Choose who you will serve. Paul goes on to pray the most beautiful prayer. I love it. Because as we pray this prayer and start to understand what it means in our life, we now know that we're included. And I can guarantee you that there'll be people sitting here today that will be saying, I'd love that to be true. I'd really love that. But you don't know my life. But God does. And he says it's true. It's true. You're included. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we've looked at the dangers of serving self only, We've looked at the dangers of having the wrong attitude towards God, a sense of entitlement rather than one of humility. So I'd ask you again, what your attitude to serving God is? Is your heart saying, how can I serve you, Lord, today? So that you're joining in with God and bringing his kingdom on earth today as it is in heaven, or are you having a day off? 
because you've had such crap week. I shouldn't have said that word, sorry. <laughs> or would you say, even though I've had such a horrible week, I'm going to serve God first? Would you like it to be? Be honest with God and share your heart with him on this. Can I ask the band to come up and let us pray? Father, you know each and every one of us better than we know ourselves. Help us to want to serve you. Inspire us to put you first. Forgive us where we've not done that. Show us how to live for today with you and help us to want to make the sacrifices that will bring about your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Stir our hearts, Lord, with the things that stir your heart and teach us your ways as we learn to serve and love you first before anything or anyone else so we might truly inherit the riches of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God bless you.